Welcome to Reading to Kids podcast. I'm your host, Jenna. And I'm your host, Peyton. And we're here to read to you or with you. We know that sometimes moms and dads don't always have the time or the motivation to read to their kids each night, and we know how important it is. So, on those nights that you're not in the mood, we're going to do it for you. Can't wait to read with you. Good job, Peyton. High five. Hello. Hi. 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 Hiya. Hiya. Hello, hello. 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 All right. You sound like circus people. What? You sound like freaks. No, I was trying to do it. Thank you, but that was my impression of like a British accent. Hello. It's, no. That's not, oh, okay. Well, I'm trying. (laughs) Poor buddy. Buddy's whining to get in. That's sad. Okay. A Series of Unfortunate Events by Lemony Snicket. Book the 13th. The End. Oh my gosh, five. Okay, I have to count on my fingers. Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. Nine more chapters and we're done with this series. Whoa, we read a lot, huh? Okay. Chapter five. Unless you're unusually... Oh, geez, here's another word. Let's let's look it up. All right, I'm not even going to try these words anymore. I mean, kind of late in the game, but okay, here you go. Insouciant. Insouciant would have never guessed. Okay. Unless you are in, unusually insouciant, which is merely a fancy word of saying the opposite of curious, or one of the Baudelaire, or actually, I don't even know if that's here. Let's see what the actual definition is because they usually just use the definition. Um, that pertains to what's going on in the story. Insouciant means showing a casual lack of concern or indifference. Like you're like, eh, whatever, nonchalant. Okay. Unless you're unusually insouciant, which merely is a fancy word of saying the opposite of curious, or one of the Baudelaire orphans yourself, you're probably wondering whether or not the three children drank the coconut cordial that was offered to them rather forcefully by Ishmael. Perhaps you've been in situations yourself where you have been offered a beverage or food you would rather not consume by someone you would rather not refuse. Or perhaps you've been warned about people will offer such things and told to avoid such, avoid succumbing to, uh, avoid succumbing. A word here, which means accepting rather than refusing what you are given. Such situations are often referred to as incidents of peer pressure. As peer pressure is a word for someone with whom you are associating and pressure. Uh, oh yeah, associating and pressure is a word here for an influence such people often have. If you are a Brahmin or a Bray woman, a term here for someone who lives alone on a hill, then peer pressure is mere is fairly easy to avoid, as you have no peers except for the occasional wild sheep who may wander near your cave and try to pressure you into growing a woolly coat. But if you live among people, whether they are people in your family, in your school, or in your secret organization, then every moment of your life is an incident of peer pressure, and you cannot avoid it it any more than a boat at sea can avoid surrounding a storm. If you wake up in the morning at a particular time when you would rather be... when you would rather hit your head under your pillow, oh, hide your head under your pillow, that makes more sense, hide your head under your pillow until you are too hungry to stand it any longer, then you are succumbing to peer pressure of your warden morning butler. 
of your warden or morning butler. If you eat breakfast that someone prepares for you or you prepared yourself, um, you have or a pr- breakfast you have purchased, when you would rather stomp your feet and demand delicates from faraway lands than you are succumbing to peer pressure of groceries or breakfast or breakfast breakfast chef. I know these are weird choices. It's like either this or this. You're like I don't think so. All day long, everyone in the world is succumbing to peer pressure, whether it is pressure of their fourth grade peers to play dodgeball during the recess or pressure of their fellow circus performers to balance rubber balls on their noses. And if you try to avoid every instance of peer pressure, you will end up without any peers whatsoever. And the trick to succumb to all to enough pressure that you do not drive your peers away, but not so much that you end up in a situation in which you are dead or otherwise uncomfortable. This is a different, difficult trick, and most people never master it and end up dead or uncomfortable, or at least during once in their once and during their lives. Well, you probably don't end up dead in your lives and then get back to normal, right? The Baudelaire orphans had been uncomfortable more than enough times over the course of their misadventures and having found themselves on a distant island with only one set of peers to choose from, they succumbed to the pressure of Ishmael on and Friday and Miss Caliban and all of the other islanders who lived with the children in their new homes. They sat on in Ishmael's tent and drank a bit of coconut cordial as they ate their lunch of spice and fr- spice-free ceviche, even though the drink left them feeling a bit dizzy, and the food left them feeling a bit slimy, rather than leaving the colony finding their own food and drink. They wore their white robes, even though they were a bit heavy for warm weather, rather than trying to fashion garments of their own, and they kept quiet about discouraging discouraged items that were kept in their pockets violet's hair ribbon klaus's commonplace book and sunny's whisk rather than rocking the boat as a colony's facilitator had warned them not even daring to ask friday why she had given sunny the kitchen implement in the first place but despite the strong taste of the cordial the bland taste of the food and unflattering robes and their secret items the baudelaires felt more at home than they had in quite some time although the children had always managed to find a companion or two no matter where they wandered. The Baudelaire's had not really been accepted by any sort of community since Count Olaf had framed these children for murder, forcing them to hide and disguise themselves countless times. The Baudelaire's felt safe living with the colony, knowing that Count Olaf was not allowed near them, and that their associates, if they too ended up as castaways, would be welcomed into the tent as long as they too succumbed to the island's peer pressures of spiceless food, unflattering clothing, and suspicious, suspicious beverages that seemed fair price to pay for a safe place to call home, and for a group of people who, if not exactly friends, were at least the companion for as long as they wished to stay. The days passed and the island remained a, a safe and bland place for the siblings. Violet would like to have spent to have to spend her days insisting on islanders and building the enormous outrigger, but at Ishmael's suggestion, she sug- as she suggested Friday, Robin and Professor Fletcher with the colony's laundry and spent most of her time in the saltwater falls, wishing ev- washing everyone's robes and laying them out on rocks to dry in the sun. Klaus would have enjoyed walking over to the bear catalog of all of the... Oh gosh, what was that word again? Detritus? Was it detritus? Oh, goodness we're just gonna say detritus detritus uh, crumb hold on let me let me look it up again here we go detritus oh yeah oh, okay detritus 
I'm like, I was right, wrong, question mark, who even knows? Okay, now I lost my place. Wonderful. Okay. Okay, okay, got it. All of the detritus, of all of the detritus, the colonists had collected while the storms while storm scavenging, but everyone had agreed that the facilitator's idea that the middle Baudelaire would say Ishmael's side at all times. So he spent his days pilling clay and on the oh piling clay on the old man's feet and running to refill shells with the cordial. Only Sunday was Sunny was allowed into something only Sunny was allowed to do something in her area of expertise, but assisting Mrs. Caliban with the cooking was not very interesting, as the colony's three meals were very easy to prepare. Every morning, the youngest Baudelaire would retrieve the seaweed that Alonzo and Ariel had harvested from the sea, after it had been rinsed by Sherman and Robin, Robinson and laid out to dry by Erwan and Waden, and simply throw it into a bowl for breakfast. That's it? They're not really cooking, they're just like moving stuff from one place to another. In the afternoon, Ferdinand and Larson would bring up an enormous pile of fish that they had captured at the colony's nets, with the colony's nets. So Sunny and Mrs. Caliban could mush them into mush it into ceviche with their runcible Oh my gosh, there's not even knives to cut it up with their runcible spoons and you know what? Let me Okay, since we're on a since we're on a roll, let's look up this word too. Okay, no kidding. The definition is really Runcible spoon. Let's see if I got it right. Runcible spoon. I got it right. It is an act. That's the definition, not runcible. Runcible spoon. Okay. Alrighty. Here we go. Uh, boo 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 spices. Oh my gosh. Hold on. I lost my spot again. All right. Sunny and Miss Caliban could mush it up to into ceviche with their runcible spoons. And in the evening, the two chefs would light a fire and slowly simmer a pot of wild onions, emeros, and fin had picked along the wild grass that they reaped by Brewster and Calypso that served dinner, dinner's only spice, and the soups alongside the seashells full of coconut cordials by Brian and Willa had found from coconuts, Mr. Pick Karen and Mr. and Miss Marlowe had gathered from the island's coconut trees. How come they don't ever cook the fish then if they can cook? Right? Why don't they? Okay, okay, I know you don't. I'm just saying, like, if it, you know, cooked fish tastes good. None of these spite, none of these recipes was very challenging to prepare, and Sunny ended up spending much of her day in idleness, a word here which means lounging around with Miss Caliban, sipping coconut cordial, and staring at the sea. After so many frantic encounters and tragic experiences, the children were not accustomed to leading such a calm life, and for the first few days, they felt a bit restless without treachery of Count Olaf and his sinister mysteries and the integrity of VFD and its noble deeds. But with every good night's sleep and the breezy comfort of the tent and every day's work would, every day's work at easy tasks and sip in every sip of the sweet coconut cordial, the strife and the treachery of the ch- children's lives felt further and further away. After a few days, another storm arrived, just as Ishmael had pre- predicted, and the sky blackened, and the island was covered in wind and rain, and the Baudelaire's huddled with the other islanders in the facilitator's tent. <laughs> That's a really smart idea. I don't know. Maybe they're going to. And honestly... Yeah, like, collect the water so you can have fresh water. Peyton, genius. You're a genius. And they were grateful for the uneventful life that in, 
on the colony rather than a stormy existence they had endured since their parents died. Janice up, Sunny said to her siblings the next morning as the Baudelaire's walked along the coastal shelf. According to the custom, the islanders, the islanders were all storm scavenging here and there on the flat horizon, poking at the detri... De- oh my god. Why can't I remember these words? Oh my gosh. Detritus? How do I say it again? Detritus? Oh, whatever. The garbage of the storm. Detritus. Detritus. I got it. I got it. Detritus of the storm. But by Janiceps, the youngest Baudelaire meant, I'm of two minds about living here. An expression here which means she couldn't decide if she liked the island colony or not. I know what you mean, Klaus said, who was carrying Sunny on his shoulders. Life isn't very exciting here, but at least we're not in any danger. Well, I suppose we should be grateful for that, Violet said, even if life on the colony seems quite strict. Ishmael kept saying that he won't force us to do anything, Klaus said, but everything feels a bit forced anyways. Simple water filled... Oh, no, seems a bit forced anyways. Missed a page. At least they forced Olaf away, Violet pointed out, which is more than VFD ever could accomplish. Disparia, Sunny said, which meant something like, we live in such a distant place in the battle between VFD and their enemies that it seems so far away. The only VFD around here, Klaus said, leaning down to peer into a pool of water, is our very flavorless diet. Violet smiled. Not so long ago, she said, we were desperate to reach the last safe place by Thursday. Now, everywhere we look is safe and we have no idea what day it is. I still miss home, Sunny said. Me too, Klaus said. For some reason, I keep missing the library at Lucky Mills, Lucky Smells Lumber Mill. Charles's library, Violet asked with an amazed smile. It was a beautiful room, but it only had three books. Why on earth do you miss that place? Well, three books are better than none, Klaus said. The only thing I've read since we've arrived here is my own commonplace book. I suggested to Ishmael that he could indi- that he could dictate a story of the colony to me and that I'd write it down so that the islanders would know about how this place came to be. Other colonists could write down their own stories, and eventually this island could have its own library. But Ishmael said that he won't force me, but he didn't think it would be a good idea to write a book that would upset people with descriptions of storms and castaways. I don't want to rock the boat, but my... But I miss my research. I know what you mean, Violet said. I keep missing Madame Lulu's fortune telling tent. With all those phony with all those phony magic tricks, Klaus said. Her inventions were pretty ridiculous, Violet admitted. But if I had those simple mechanical materials, I think that I could make some simple water filtration system. If we can only capture if we could manage if we could manufacture fresh water, the islanders wouldn't have to drink coconut cordial all day long. But Friday said that drinking the cordial was inveterate. Oh my gosh, this freaking book, I'm telling you. No spin, said Sunny. She meant, she meant people had been drinking it for so long that they didn't want to stop, Violet said. I don't want to rock the boat, but I miss working on inventions. What about you, Sunny? What do you miss? Fountain, Sunny said. Like the foul fountain at the village of foul devotees, Klaus said. No, Sunny said, shaking her head. In city. The fountain of victorious finance, Violet asked. Why on earth would you miss that? First swim, Sunny said, and her siblings gasped. You can't remember that, Klaus said. You were only a few weeks old, Violet said. I remember, Sunny said firmly, and the elder Baudelaire shook their heads in wonder. Sunny walked about an afternoon long about an afternoon long ago during an unusually hot autumn in the city the Baudelaire parents had some business to attend to and 
and brought along their children, promising to stop at the ice cream store on the way home. The family had arrived to the banking district, pausing to rest at the fountain of victorious finance, and the Baudelaire's mother had hurried into the building with the tall, curved towers poking out of the direct of all directions, while their father waited outside with the children. The hot weather made Sunny so very cranky that she began to fuss. To quiet her, the Baudelaire's father dipped her bare feet in the water, and the Sunny had smiled so enthusiastically that he began to dunk Sonny's body, clothes and all, in the fountain until the young Baudelaire was screaming with laughter. As you may know, laughter of babies is often very contagious, and long before, and not bef- and before long, not only were Violet and Klaus also jumping in the fountain, but the Baudelaire's father too, and all of them laughing and laughing as Sonny grew more and more delighted. Soon the Baudelaire's mother came out of the building building and looked in astonishment for a moment at her soaking and giggling family before putting her own pocketbook down and kicking off her shoes and joining them in the refreshing water. They laughed all the way home. Each footstep with a wet squish sat and sat out on their front steps to dry in the sun. It was a wonderful day, but so long ago, so long ago, Violet and Klaus had almost forgotten it themselves. But as Sunny reminded them, they could almost hear their, her newborn laughter and see the incredulous look of the bankers who were passing by. It's hard to believe, Violet said, that our parents could laugh like that when they were already involved with BFD and all of its troubles. The schism must have steamed a world away, Klaus said. And now, Sunny said, nodding in agreement, with the morning sun blazing overhead and the sea sparkling at the edge of the coastal shelf, their surroundings seemed as far from trouble and treachery as the afternoon in the fountain of victorious finance. But trouble and treachery are rarely as far as one thinks, and they are on the clearest of days. On the farthest, on that faraway afternoon in the banking district, for instance, trouble could be found in corridors on the towered buildings where the Baudelaire's mother was handed a weather report and a naval map that would reveal when, this, when she studied them by candlelight that evening far greater trouble than she had imagined, and treachery could be found just past the fountain, where a woman disguised as a pretzel vendor took a photograph of the laughing family and slipped her camera into the coat pocket of the financial expert who was hurrying to a restaurant, where the coat-checked woman would remove the camera and hide it in an enormous parfait glass of fruit that a certain playwright, I know, that a certain playwright order for dessert only to have a quick-thinking waitress pretend that the cream and the zobolanine, whatever sauce, the food sauce, had gone sour and dumped the entire dish into a garbage can in the alley where I had been sitting for hours, pretending to look like a lost puppy who actually was scurrying to the back of the entrance of the towered building, removing her disguise and following her in her following it into her handbag, and this morning on the coastal shelf was no different. Okay. I'm sorry, this guy... The author of this book. That's all I'm going to say. I'm not going to say anything negative. I'm just going to be like, what? Children are supposed to be. This is a fifth grade book. My gosh. All right. Sunny knocked gently on her brother's head and pointed out to the horizon. The three children looked carefully and saw an object resting unevenly on the edge of the shelf. And this was trouble, even if it didn't look like trouble at the time. It was hard to say what it looked like, only that it was large and square and ragged, and the children hurried across to get a better view. Violet led the way, stepping carefully around the few crabs snapping along the shelf, and Klaus followed behind with Sunny still on his shoulders, and even when they reached the object, they found it difficult to identify. At first glance, the square 
ragged object looked like a combination of everything that the Baudelaire's missed. It looked like a library because the objects seemed to be nothing more than stacks and stacks of books piled neatly on top of one another in a huge crib, but it also looked like an invention because wrapped around the cube of books was a, the, was the way the string is wrapped around the packages were thick straps that appeared to be made of rubber. In various shades of green on one side and the cube was the cube was affixed with a large flap of battered wood, and it also looked like a fountain as water trickled down the sides of it, leaking through the bloated pages of the books and splashing down onto the sand of the coastal shelf. But although this is a very unusual sight, the children stared not at the cube, but at something at the top of this strange contraption. It was a bare foot hanging over the side of the cube where someone was sleeping on the top of those books. And the Baudelaire's could see right on the ankle a tattoo of an eye. Olaf, Sunny asked, but her siblings shook their head. They had seen Olaf's foot more times than they would like to count, and his foot was much more narrow and cleaner than this villain's than the villain's. Climb on my back, Violet said to her brother, maybe we can hoist Sunny to the top. Klaus nodded, climbed carefully into the sister's back, and then very slowly stood on Violet's shoulders. The three Baudelaire's stood stood in a trembling ta- trembling tower as Sunny reached out her little hands and pulled herself up as if she had pulled herself up the elevator shaft of, of 667 Dark Avenue not so long ago and saw the woman who was lying unconsciously on the top of the stack of books. She was dressed in a dress of red, dark red velvet, which was streaked and soaked from the rain. Her hair lay in a, and sprawled on her like a wide tangled fan. The foot that was hanging over the edge of the cube was bent in a strange, wrong way, but she looked otherwise unharmed. Her eyes were closed and her mouth was frowning, but her belly, full and round from her pregnancy, rose and fell with each calm, deep breath, and her hands covered covered in long white gloves that lay gently on her chest as if she was comforting herself or her child. Kit Snicket, Sunny called down to her siblings, and her voice hushed with amazement. Yes, replied a voice that was grating, a word here which means irritating and sadly familiar. From behind the books, a figure stepped out of the to greet the children, and Sunny looked down and frowned at the tower of the older Baudelaire, turned her face to the person who was confronting them. This person was also wearing a talaric, a word here which means just reaching the ankles, a dress that was streaked and soaked, although, although the dress was not red but orange and yellow as well. But colors melted together as the person walked closer and closer to the children. This person was not wearing gloves, but a pile of seaweed had been arranged on to resemble long hair, which cascaded hideously down this person's back. And although this person's belly was also full and round, it was full and round in an odd, unconceiving way. It would have been very unusual if the belly were genuine, because this ob- th- it was obvious from looking at the person's face that this was not a woman. And a pregnancy very rarely occurs in males, although the male seahorse is a creature that becomes pregnant from time to time. But this person stepping closer and closer to the towered elder Baudelaire's and gazing angrily at the, at the youngsters was no seahorse, of course. If the odd cube of books was troubled, then this man was treachery, and it was so often in the case of treachery, his name was Count Olaf. Violet, Klaus, Violet and Klaus stared at the villain, and Sunny stared at Kit. And then the three children looked at the horizon where the other islanders had spotted the strange object ahead towards them. Lastly, the Baudelaire orphans looked at one another and wondered if the schism were so far away after all, or if they had traveled a world away only to find the trouble and treachery of the world staring right back at their face. At their face.
at their face. Okay. Let's do this. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's, let's, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. Bye, guys.